Hello and welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman and joining me today is Linda Carlisle. It's Tuesday, January 9th, 2024, and we have some great stories for you. In this episode, we will talk about Astrobotics Lunar Lander attempting a moon landing, Ukrainian troops facing attacks from Russian forces, the highest level of civilian casualties from explosive violence, the discovery of the origins of odd radio circles, and Queensland farmers calling for an investigation into price gouging by supermarket chains. Story number one. Astrobotics Peregrine Lunar Lander, developed under a contract with NASA, has been launched on the Vulcan Centaur rocket, becoming the first commercial lander to attempt a moon landing and the first lunar mission to launch from the U.S. since 1972. According to CNN, the lander is carrying a total of 20 payloads, including five NASA science instruments and various experiments and mementos from other customers. However, controversy surrounds the inclusion of human remains on behalf of two commercial space burial companies, which has been opposed by the Navajo Nation. The lander is expected to touch down on the moon on February 23rd and operate for up to 10 days before the landing site becomes too cold. It's truly an exciting time, isn't it, Linda? The Peregrine Lunar Lander, developed by Astrobotic Technology, is making its journey to the moon, marking the first U.S. commercial robotic launch to the lunar surface. It's fascinating how this signals a shift in the landscape of space exploration, moving from being a purely government-led domain to a playground for commercial enterprises. It's a significant advancement in space exploration. We're now seeing the intersection of business and science in a way that was once confined to the realm of science fiction. However, it's crucial to note that this shift also brings with it some ethical and cultural considerations. No doubt. I mean, take the controversy surrounding the transport of human remains to the moon. Celestis and Elysium Space, the two commercial space burial companies involved, see this as a new frontier in memorializing the departed. But the Navajo Nation regards the moon as sacred, and they see this as an affront to their beliefs. Indeed, it's a delicate situation. On one hand, we have the drive for scientific advancement and exploration. On the other, we have to respect the cultural sensitivities and beliefs of different groups. It's a balancing act. It reminds me of instances where technological advancements have clashed with indigenous beliefs and practices on Earth. And it's not just about the cultural aspects, right? There's also the whole debate around the commercialization of space. With tech giants and their space exploration companies getting involved, there's a lot of potential for competition, which could drive innovation. However, we also risk turning space into another arena of corporate rivalry. True, Mark. The commercialization of space could lead to significant advancements and open up new opportunities. Still, it's essential to strike a balance and ensure that this new frontier doesn't become a victim of the same pitfalls we've seen in other sectors. It's going to be interesting to see how this evolves. Story number two. According to the New York Times... Ukrainian troops in the Zaporizhia region are facing daily attacks from Russian forces, despite being officially in defensive mode. The troops are exhausted but maintaining their morale as they prepare for their positions on the front line. The capture of the town of Robotyne was the only progress made in the Ukrainian counteroffensive, and now Russian units are launching regular attacks in the area. Ukrainian troops are attempting to counterattack immediately if they lose ground. Should consider this, Linda. The Ukrainians are fighting a hard battle there, just like in the old days of trench warfare. They're outnumbered, outgunned, yet they're holding their ground. It's the sheer determination and resilience that's keeping them in the fight. I mean, isn't that something to admire? 
Oh, absolutely, Mark. Their resilience is commendable, it's inspiring. However, it's also heartbreaking. This relentless fighting, it's physically and emotionally exhausting for them. And it's not just about the soldiers in the trenches, it's about the civilians, too. The toll it's taking on the nation as a whole is something we can't overlook. Sure, I get that. But isn't it, um, a part of warfare? I mean, yes, it's harsh, it's brutal, but it's a reality. Throughout history, endurance has always played a key role in wars. Think about the Brits during the Blitz or the Vietnamese during the Vietnam War. They held out, didn't they? And in the end, that endurance paid off. Yes, Mark, endurance is a factor, but we also need to consider the long-term effects. The post-traumatic stress, the loss of life, the devastation to infrastructure. It's not just enduring the war, it's about what happens after. The recovery, the rebuilding, it's a long and painful process. And as the war drags on, the recovery becomes even more challenging. Well, that's where technology and modern warfare strategies come in, right? They're not just there to help win wars, but also to minimize the damage. The use of intelligence to plan strategic attacks. The use of drones to reduce the risk to soldiers. Isn't that a way to mitigate the devastation you're talking about? Yes, Mark, those are important advancements. But we also need to acknowledge that the technology can be, and often is, misused. It's a double-edged sword. So while technology can help, it doesn't erase the human cost of war. And it's that human cost, Mark, that we should always strive to reduce. Story number three. According to a study by Action on Armed Violence, as reported by The Guardian, the number of civilian casualties caused by airstrikes, bombs, and artillery reached its highest level in 2023 since 2010. The study recorded 33,846 non-combatants killed or wounded, a 62% increase from the previous year. The three-month war in Gaza contributed significantly to this high number of casualties. The figures from the study are based on English-language reports of global incidents of explosive violence, but it is believed to be an undercount. The group's executive director stated that last year was the most harmful to civilians from explosive violence since the study began. The conflict in the Middle East, particularly in Gaza, accounted for a large portion of the casualties, with Israel's operation in Gaza responsible for 37% of civilian casualties in 2023. The study also highlighted the wars in Ukraine and Sudan as contributing factors. Do you see this, Linda? More civilians were killed or injured by explosive violence in 2023 than in any year over the last decade. It's just... it's just mind-boggling. What's causing this surge? Yes, Mark. It's deeply tragic and concerning. There are multiple factors at play here. Changes in warfare tactics have played a role. Modern warfare often involves the use of air power and artillery in urban areas, which can lead to high civilian casualties. For example, the recent war in Gaza resulted in a massive spike in casualties due to the heavy use of airstrikes. So, you're saying that the shift towards more urban warfare is exposing more civilians to danger, but what about international laws of war? Aren't they supposed to protect civilians in times of conflict? Indeed, international humanitarian law does stipulate that parties to a conflict must take precautions to minimize harm to civilians. However, these laws are often flouted or ignored. In theory, military targets should be distinct from civilian ones. But in practice, this distinction is often blurred especially in densely populated areas. The lack of access for independent monitors also makes it difficult to hold perpetrators accountable. That's very disheartening. But Linda, this isn't just happening in Gaza, right? The report mentions other conflict zones like Ukraine and Sudan. 
Are we seeing similar patterns there? Yes, Mark, it's a global problem. While each conflict zone has its unique circumstances, what's common is that civilians are bearing the brunt of the violence. In Ukraine, for instance, the ongoing conflict has led to numerous civilian casualties. In Sudan, the outbreak of civil war last April has significantly contributed to the total count. The high casualty rates in these regions underscore the urgent need for effective conflict resolution and better protective measures for civilians. Right, so it's a complex issue requiring multifaceted solutions. From your perspective, what can be done to mitigate this, Linda? Well, Mark, there's no silver bullet, but a few things could make a difference. Strengthening adherence to international humanitarian law is crucial. This could involve holding violators accountable and enhancing protective measures for civilians. We also need to address the root causes of these conflicts, whether they're political, economic, or social. Lastly, investing in conflict resolution and peace-building efforts is key. These steps won't eliminate civilian casualties overnight, but they can certainly help reduce them. Story number four. In a report from CNN, scientists have discovered the origins of odd radio circles, orcs, massive cosmic structures that have puzzled astronomers since their discovery in 2019. The orcs, which are so large that entire galaxies reside at their centers, have been theorized to be the result of cosmic collisions. However, a new study suggests that they are actually shells sculpted by powerful galactic winds created by exploding stars. The researchers studied Orky 4 and found that it contained more luminous heated gas than typical galaxies, indicating the presence of outflowing galactic winds. The study provides insights into galactic evolution and may help astronomers understand the impact of orcs on shaping galaxies over time. So, Linda, these odd radio circles, or orcs, are quite the cosmic mystery, aren't they? I mean, they're so massive, even entire galaxies reside at their centers. And we've only found about 11 of them so far. Yes, Mark, you're absolutely right. The sheer scale of these orcs is quite mind-boggling. They span hundreds of thousands of light years. And yes, only 11 have been detected so far. Some of those are still potential orcs that are yet to be confirmed. It's interesting how much we've yet to discover about our universe, isn't it? Absolutely. It's fascinating, Linda. But what really gets me is the recent theory that these orcs could be the result of massive galactic winds when stars explode. That's... Well, it's explosive stuff. Can you give us a bit more insight into that? Of course, Mark. This is where the concept of starburst galaxies comes into play. These galaxies have a high rate of star formation, and when these giant stars explode, they release gas into interstellar space. Now, if enough stars explode at once, the force from these explosions can drive the gas out of a starburst galaxy at incredible speeds. So, we're talking about winds blowing at... Let me check my notes here. Up to 4,473,873 miles per hour? That's... I can't even wrap my head around that. And these winds could be forming the radio rings, right? The researchers believe that these outflowing galactic winds might be responsible for the formation of these orcs. Using visible and infrared light data, they calculated that the stars within the galaxy inside one of the orcs are around 6 billion years old. The star formation burst in this galaxy ended roughly a billion years ago. Simulations showed that the galactic winds blew for about 200 million years, creating the radio circle. That's incredible. And I guess the key here is understanding these orcs helps us understand how galaxies evolve over time, right? Understanding these orcs and their formation can give us insights into the life cycle of galactic winds and their prevalence. 
It could also help us learn more about galactic evolution. For instance, do all massive galaxies go through an orc phase? Do spiral galaxies turn elliptical when they are no longer forming stars? There is a lot we can learn about and from orcs. Story number five. Queensland farmers are calling for an investigation into price gouging by supermarket chains after the state's premier expressed concerns about the disparity between checkout prices and the value farmers receive for their products. According to The Guardian, the peak body representing Queensland farmers, Agforce, has urged for a broader inquiry into the issue, stating that the industry would cease to exist if action is not taken. The Premier sent a letter to the CEOs of Coles, Woolworths, IGA and Aldi requesting answers on overcharging claims. Statistics from Meat and Livestock Australia show that farmers have experienced a significant drop in sale prices for cattle and sheep, while consumers have not witnessed a proportional reduction in supermarket meat prices. The major supermarket chains have welcomed the opportunity to engage in discussions on the factors influencing prices. Will you look at that, Linda? Queensland's Premier Stephen Miles is putting the supermarket giants on the hot seat. Now I'm all for fair play, but let's not forget these big chains are also businesses. They've got costs to cover, employees to pay, and let's not even start on the impact of inflation and supply chain disruptions. That's true, Mark. But at the same time, we can't ignore the fact that there is a growing disparity between the prices consumers pay and what farmers are getting for their produce. It's a matter of fairness and sustainability. If farmers are barely making ends meet, it threatens our food security in the long run. I get that, Linda. I really do. But we shouldn't be too quick to point fingers at the supermarkets. The AgForce chief executive himself said it might be other players in the supply chain causing this processors, transport, you name it. It's a complex issue and we need to look at the whole picture. No one's denying it's complex, Mark, but that doesn't mean we should shy away from asking hard questions. The fact that a Coles spokesperson mentioned factors like construction costs, energy prices and packaging costs shows there's a lot that goes into pricing. But does all that justify the widening gap between what farmers earn and what consumers pay? I'm not sure. Well, Linda, maybe it's high time for a thorough, unbiased review of the whole supply chain. Let's see where the money goes, who's making a fair profit, and who's getting the short end of the stick. Then we can talk about solutions, instead of playing the blame game. A review sounds like a good starting point, Mark. But let's not lose sight of the people at the heart of this. The farmers. They're the ones who work tirelessly to put food on our tables. They deserve a fair price for their hard work. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.